Flask is one of the most popular Python web frameworks, and they have huge news to share with us. Flask 2.0 just released after a ton of work, and it's as big a deal as the version number suggests. Async changes are coming, Python 3.5 and below, including Python 2 support has been dropped, and much, much more. Join me as I discuss Flask 2.0 with David Lord and Philip Jones. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 316, recorded May 10th, 2021. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy, and keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm, and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. This episode is brought to you by us over at Talk Python Training. If you want to learn Flask, we built a fantastic course called Building Data-Driven Web Apps with Flask and SQL Alchemy. In this course, we build a PyPI.org clone from scratch using Flask and SQL Alchemy. You'll learn many of the major ingredients needed to build most web apps. If this sounds amazing, just visit talkpython.fm slash Flask or email us at sales at talkpython.fm. David, Phil, welcome back, both of you, to Talk Python to Me. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you back. David, I've had you on to talk about Flask, and Phil, I've had you on to talk about derivatives of Flask, I suppose, about Court, your project. And they're both kind of approaching the same type of thing and then sort of zeroing in. So now we have you here together, I suppose, working on Flask 2.0, right? It's all merging into one, not really. Just our <laughs> efforts. <laughs> Still separate libraries. Yeah, but it's really cool to see you working closely together uh, rather than just two disjoint things, right? I think that gives a lot of credibility, especially to Court, right? Because Court was kind of this experimental thing. And now it's, if not exactly, is it a Palettes project officially? Or is it just working more closely? It's working more closely. And in addition, it uses Verksug now, which it never used before. So it's been oh, quite right. a lot of work in, in, in that project to make that possible. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and Verksug is like one of these foundational bits of Flask, as mm -hmm. we'll get into, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the idea is, because Court was supposed to be API compatible with Flask, we want to get it using as much of what Flask is using as possible. A long-term plan is to get it using even more works at Fergswig. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Maybe some, it's dangerous as well, could get in there, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it's risky, but you guys can make it happen. All right, now before we jump into the main topic, Flask 2.0, you both have been on the show before. You know, often I ask people how they got in programming in Python or whatnot. You've you both answered that question previously, and people can go back and hear it if they want. So how much to catch up? What have you been up to since you've been on the show last? Bill, you want to go first? Sure. I think uh, in open source sense, it's, it's been, yeah, working a lot on Quart and uh, working more. At the time, I don't think I was really helping with the Palettes project, so I've been helping with them since. And uh, yeah, just kind of developing those two and doing a lot of work trying to get, well, the, the async support that's now coming to Flask, which is quite exciting. On a kind of personal note. Also. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. yeah. On a personal note, I, I work in London. So I've just been, uh, I've actually worked for a few companies, tried my own startup. It didn't work, sadly, but uh, yeah, working in London now. So that's good. Nice. I love London. That's a fantastic town. I haven't been there in a year and a half, oddly. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and David, how about yourself? Where have you been up to? So I'm trying to remember when we did our podcast last, but it must have been like three years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. So yeah, after that, I've just been, working down the, the backlog of all the issues on 
flask and palettes and all that. And now we're finally at the point where I'm confident about releasing all this stuff. So yeah, it's just been more more open source work. And then uh, still working for the same company I've been working for for 10 years now. So <laughs> that hasn't changed at all. Yeah, that's cool. And I suspect they're pretty supportive of Flask. Oh yeah, we get to use it internally. I actually introduced Python and Flask to the whole company way wow. back in the day now. Yeah, I mean, how much of an advantage is that to have somebody like you? <laughs> yeah, so they do. familiar with the, everything, right? Yeah. When we're bidding for contracts and stuff, they definitely yeah. get to like use that as like, hey, we've got one of the maintainers of the libraries we want to use. What do you bring to this? Yeah, table? exactly. What, <laughs> what's the <laughs> advantage you have? Well, uh, have you met David? No, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And check this out. You were back on episode 177 and the title was Flask Goes 1.0. Oh my so gosh. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is uh, September 15th, 2018. So it's been a while. But also, uh, it's time to have you back because now you guys have incremented the big number in the version. Well, not quite, almost. One more day. <laughs> is, it, is it one more day? Yeah, it's tomorrow. Okay. So for people listening on your podcast player, that's like a week ago. Oh, <laughs> wow. People on the live stream, <laughs> one more day. Fantastic. Super cool. So I see some really interesting questions from people who are watching the live stream, but let's dive into a little bit of, of background stuff and then I think we'll go from there. So... I kind of wanted to start with the larger landscape of the web. And maybe also you could tell us about, I just threw that out there as if people would know the Palettes Project. We talked about it a little bit with both of you. David, give us an overview of what the Palettes Project is, because we have Flask and we have Court, and then we have these other libraries as well. What's the relationship of all these things? I know Court is its own thing, but it uses like Vrixoic, for example. Yeah, well... Palettes is the organization, like just an open source organization, not an actual company or anything that maintains Flask and the libraries that Flask uses. And so that's Flask, Ferrixoid, Jinja, Click, It's Dangerous and Markup Safe. And um, it was started, all these libraries used to be maintained by the original author, Armin, and his other group, Poku. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually they kind of grew larger than that. And the original team kind of grew to do other things. And so he formed Palettes. And uh, that's about when I joined and started maintaining everything. And although recently I've come to the uh, understanding that it, as, as much as I push the name Palettes, uh, it will never have as much name recognition as Flask. And so <laughs> you can also refer to things as Flask and I will know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Like the general Flask obviously is made up of the foundational bits as well. Yeah, yeah. And so Palettes for a very long time was just the GitHub organization that these projects repos were under. And I've been working over time to expand that into an actual open source organization, kind of not nowhere near this yet, but inspired by like how Django Software Foundation works and those sorts of things where they do things besides just develop. So yeah. we've been working on, you know, growing the community, getting more maintainers involved, running FlaskCon last July, I think. And we're another one is coming up, I think November is this tentative schedule. Nice. And this is obviously, I, I would guess, online at, at this point? Yeah, it'll be online still. It was online last time also, and it worked out pretty yeah. well. You can go find all the videos on um, PyVideo. They're up there. Yeah, fantastic. Do you have sprints or anything like that around it, or is it just presentations? Uh, we didn't do sprints last time because it was just our first time running a conference. We'll see what happens this year. Yeah. No concrete plans yet. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. All right. I kind of wanted to start off this conversation with a, a, a wider view, looking at the Python web space. So I put up here for us to look at the Python developer survey from the PSF and JetBrains for 2020. 
obviously it's 2021, but the results for that was the last survey that have come out. And over there, we've got the web frameworks being used and, you know, these things are never comprehensive. Like there's 6% of other, whatever that means. But we have Flask now clearly being the most popular one. So first of all, congratulations on that. That's awesome. I wonder if Quart was folded into Flask or if it went into the other, you know, in a person's mind when they clicked the button, which did they click, you know? I imagine it's probably in the other and a a small percentage, (laughs) very small. Yeah, (laughs) nice. Okay, well, so this is really neat. I guess the big interesting thing here as well, beyond, I think it was you and Django, at least in this previous survey in 2019, were just tied, basically. So now it's, you had talked about how there's a lot of growth and a lot of momentum. And I think it's even more than what you see here on the screen. Like I think a lot of the APIs that Flask embraces in the way of doing web programming has been adopted by many of the other new frameworks as well. So for example, we have Fast API making a jump up to 12% here, which is probably the biggest difference from the year before as well. What do you think about this picture here? And then like, you know, what do you think about just the Python web space in 2021, both of you? Fast API is definitely gaining ground. Flask, I'm continually surprised that so many people use Flask. I never, it's hard to wrap your head around like that many people. I was just looking at the downloads this morning and it was 14 million in the last 30 days. In the last 30 days, that's so insane. That's just Flask. Like if you look at like Jinja, because Jinja is used by things besides Flask, like Ansible, right. uh, we're, we're up yeah. in like the 20 somethings. Very cool. And you can use Jinja just on its own for super interesting things as well. Like. I recently did a project where I needed to generate a PDF that was like out of, you know, here's data in a dictionary and I need to make a PDF that looks formatted. And I just used Jinja and a Jinja template to generate the HTML and then feed it off to a PDF library that made it into PDF, right? There's all sorts of little edge cases like that. And same with Click. I mean, people use Click to make actual command line applications, not just to provide a little CLI for Flask. So yeah, when you look at this, like you get, like you realize that like, oh, they're also using like all these other libraries. But I never really like think about the numbers. I guess every now and then I remember Flask having more stars than Django on GitHub, but that was because Django joined GitHub late. And they've yeah. surpassed us now, but that's about the only uh, joke metric I follow, really. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, interest in Fast API, and I think it's uh, it's nice to just see that like none of nothing's stagnating. You know, like everything yeah. like there's there's new ideas out there. People are develop like there's stable libraries that continue to develop like us and we are still adding new features and then there's like completely mm-hmm. new ideas or new formulations of libraries. Yeah. I feel like we're in a bit of a Cambrian sort of thousand flowers blooming type of time and many of them won't survive that, but there's a lot of fresh ideas out there and it's pretty exciting. Yeah. It, like having a healthy ecosystem, having choice that you, know, you can ch- choose whether a certain framework is more appropriate for you know, the project you're starting or working on, uh, I think is really powerful yeah. for like users and for maintainers. Yeah. And you can borrow ideas too. Like, oh, I, I see the way fast API is doing types to like mean this. Maybe that makes sense to like allow that as an option somewhere well, else. Yeah. You know, who knows? Right. Well, one um, thing I, I quite like yeah, to yeah. take from this list is Falcon has a really quite exciting router. And uh, I think it might be a little too, too much for Verksug perhaps, but uh, I've been playing around with uh, taking the ideas from Falcon and bringing it to Verksuk. So what makes it exciting is it's a very fast matching system and uh, yeah, it should outperform the, the Verksuk router if we can get it in by, uh, okay. by a good fraction. So that'd be exciting. Yeah, there's a lot of interplay here that I think is pretty neat. And while we're on this sort of broad topic, Rohit asks out in the live stream, you know, what are the advantages of using Flask over Django? Maybe that pairs them up a little bit too tight, but uh, you know, looking at this list, these are the ones that probably the trade-offs people are are thinking about. Yeah, this gets harder for me to answer over time because I haven't used Django in a long time. 
but it's hard to compare them one to one. It's like apples and oranges, right? Like I said a couple of minutes ago, like you're choosing the project that's most appropriate or the, the framework that's more appropriate for your project and the way you want to work. So it's not necessarily that you're going to be losing out or getting any given feature by choosing one or the other. It's about how they feel when you're working on them. You know, like sometimes Django makes more sense to people or fast API makes more sense or, yeah. and then like, they also have different goals, right? Like flask is deliberately just the web framework and Hmm. wrapping some other libraries around it. But its goal is that if you want other features, somebody develops an extension that is specific to that and you, you add that on. And um, I mean, Django and I don't know about fast API yet, but like Django has the same idea. It's just how many batteries they decide to include is different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Phil, you want to take a shot at this before uh, I give my thoughts as well, maybe? Yeah. I think specifically Flask and Django, I always thought it came down to a kind of a choice about how to do things like Flask doesn't really give you an answer and you can go and choose from the extensions Mm -hmm. whereas Django does. And yeah, I think it's, like David said, a bit of what your preference is really, what you prefer. Yeah. I mean, Django yeah. is making huge strides in like async also, and you know, mm. we're adapting to that too, but they all have different solutions to the same thing and approaching it from different yeah. directions. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening in Django around this as well. So the way I see it is, you know, Flask, it's like an empty canvas and it's got just a few really nice little building blocks and then you can build what you want, right? You want to use Postgres and SQL Alchemy? Great, that's totally easy. You want to use MongoDB and Mongo Engine? Equally easy. Go have fun, right? Like you, you can pick just the little bits that you really like. You don't have any other bits to worry about, and then you're good to go, right? Django, it's like, well, if you want to break from the Django RM, probably you can do it, but it's there's a little bit of a mismatch there. You kind of got to work around it. Its advantages kind of become less good, right? Like its admin tools might not work as well if you try to say switch to Mongo or something along those lines, and if what you want is like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing to build this website and I just want some guidance, like just show me the main way and I'll just do that. I don't, I just would like to go along for the flow. I think Django is fantastic for that. It gives you like really good pre-built tools, like the admin stuff and whatnot. But if you really care very much about which little piece you pick and you want to put them together just so, I feel like you're better off with a micro framework of some sort like Flask. That's my, my view. And I know some people love one side and hate the other and vice versa. So it's, you know, it's also a personal challenge or a personal thing you got to work out for. Where, where do you fit on that spectrum? Yeah. I, I mean, I personally started with Django. Flask was just being started when I was starting to learn Python and web frameworks. And uh, then I eventually yeah. ran into something where I wanted to do things that Django wasn't designed to do, obviously. Yeah. And I started running into a bunch of stuff. And so I switched to Flask. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, if you come from a, an ecosystem where there's like clearly one choice for a lot of things. You know, if you come from Ruby, okay, you got you got Rails and the Ruby ORM. Come from Microsoft, you got ASP.NET in a framework. Like you don't have decisions, you just do the thing and then eventually you build your app, right? You come to Python, there's like, you know, 20 different choices at each level. And you're like, this is like the paradox of choice. This, even though it's in some ways it's great, in other ways, you're like, I have no idea what to do. And so I think that can be a challenge for people as well. Yeah. But also an advantage once you get into it. I think your best bet, if you're asking the question, should I use Django or Flask, is to just pick one and learn enough, you know, about that framework. And I think you will be better equipped to answer that question for your project next time you have to ask it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what you start with. All right. Before we get into a a more specific, so uh, sort of a general Flask question as well. 
Pradhavan says, since Flash started as an April Fool's joke, does the core team, David and crew, uh, have any traditions around April Fool's? Um, I hadn't thought about that. Good you question. know, every time somebody brings up that it was made on April Fool's, I remember that it was made on April Fool's. I always forget that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing not not too, too many uh, too many ones. Okay, We don't have like a birthday party or anything or celebration. Maybe we should. Yeah. We'll bring it up to the community team. There you go. There you go. I think you, you put out a blog for last year, 10 years, didn't you? That was quite a good celebration, but I think that was about it. Oh, maybe. It, yeah. It's been 10 years for a lot of the libraries at this point. Yeah. Very cool. So... Let's talk Flask 2.0. You know, it's been a couple of years. It went to 1.0. It was on the zero-ver train like so many projects were before then, right? That doesn't really mean that it was such a huge transition, but there's a lot of stuff changing, not necessarily in a breaking way, but a lot of new things in Flask 2. Give us the, the exciting news. Well, the biggest one is probably async. I'll let Phil talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like a async for Flask directly and then like maybe tighter integration with Quart type of next level async, right? Yeah, exactly. So with uh, Flask 2, you'll be able to write async root handlers, depending on what you like to call them, before and after uh, request handlers and teardown functions. So it, it won't require any special effort you, uh, other than installing Flask with the extra support. But then you can just write async and await and carry on with your current setup. You don't have to change anything else. Yeah, that's super neat. And you actually gave a talk May 1st or something, 10 days ago. What was it called? It was, why isn't Flask async? And, yes. and obviously that's like leading into where things are going. You want to tell people a little bit about some of the ideas there? You talked about the history, obviously Flask being a WSGI or WSGI application. Those are all naturally having a hard time moving to async because right, the server itself needs to know. But then you also talked about some of the things that are happening to allow some async stuff to run directly without any server changes and then also moving to an asgi server yeah so what's the story there so yeah so yeah, obviously flash started as a whiskey framework uh, i think it was probably whiskey from the start right so yeah i know uh, yeah so i couldn't quite remember when was whiskey is introduced so yeah and obviously before i sync await is introduced yeah we have all these different servers and i don't want to have just this framework run on that server so whiskey is born right mm -hmm. but born in a world where async was less common <laughs> yes but what it has supported the whole time and i think what's good to point out is flask has been async the entire time just using greenlets and uh, a lot of people use that very effectively i, I think it's absolutely fine and that, that for us i think was one of the key things to bear in mind that Flask works async, and if we introduce async await, we can't be breaking that at the same time. So that was one of the, the big constraints, really. And then, so for the one side, it's keeping support with those existing async solutions. And the other is introducing the async await keywords, which I think everyone has heard of the color problem and the virality associated mm -hmm. with that, which makes it actually really hard to get a little bit deep into the cool stack, if you will, async without really having to change the whole cool stack to async in, in one swoop. Yeah, the, the challenge, maybe I'll, I'll try to give a little bit of background just for people listening, is if I've got some low-level data access library or service access library for like H using HTTPX or something, in order to await the thing at the bottom, that has to be an async method. The next level up, in order to call that method, it's got to be async. Then you got to await it. So its method's got to be async. And it just, it goes up the entire call stack in a lot of cases, right? Yeah, yeah. So what it came down to and what we what we did was uh, follow Django, what Django have already done, really. And what they, they've figured out is that you can run the async error event loop in one thread and the 
a greenlet-based one or whatever you were doing previously in the main thread. And then everything coexists nicely. You just need these wrappers to, to move things from one thread to another. And uh, that library, if you're interested, is called ASCII ref. But using that allows us to have this async code in the, in the view handler, but keep Flask synchronous in the rest and keep support with, uh, with Greenlet, which is really nice. Yeah, that's really nice. And in production, in a lot of the servers, it has threaded modes already that if like you're awaiting something and then that something talks to a network, like a database call or a web service call or something, it's going to release the gill anyway and the other threads can run. So that can probably push out pretty far just on its own, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's been very effective to a lot of companies. I know companies that use it, I think it's been really nice. So yeah. that's what we've we've got to. And I think you were talking about where can we go? Can we go fully async and ASCII with Flask? And uh, this is possibly more of my personal opinion, but I, I'm not sure it is possible to go there with Flask because I think if you do so, you end up breaking extension support. Because it's quite common for extensions to extend the Flask class and change the methods. But of course, they won't be async. So how are they going to deal with that? Yeah, there's the compatibility problem. And then there's also just the the problem of having to mark everything as async in a way if you mark one thing. And we might discover... I'm a little more optimistic than Phil, but I'm also not as experienced with it. <laughs> but I would like it to be possible like at some point for us to... You know, we're focusing on like making... Verksoig sans IO, so it doesn't require blocking IO operations when you make requests and stuff, so that you can use it in ASGI situations. And that's going to be a slow process. We're not like 100% done with it or anything like that. But my hope is that as we make Verksoig completely like IO agnostic, we might discover some ways to adapt Flask. Yeah. But it's also not 100% necessary because Cord exists also. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting point. Maybe there's a way to implement some of those extension. So the problem is the extensions override certain functions that are part of the lifecycle of requests. And those are expected to be synchronous functions because they had been for all of time. You can't just make those async and have those extensions still work. You know, at best, they're going to be kicking out unstarted coroutines (laughs) You know, maybe it's probably worse than that, but maybe, maybe that's what they do. I, I don't know. Something is not going to go super well, but maybe you can create synchronous wrappers around the async stuff that can grab a an event loop and run it or something. I don't know. Like some, there could be some sort of an adaptation thing where just the sync version maybe is not quite as fast or something. I'm not sure. As much experience you guys have, I have way less than that. <laughs> just so. As a caveat, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I think with Flask 2, I think this is, in my opinion, where you want to be because the motivation in my mind is you want to use some async based uh, library. And there's, there's some exciting ones out there, so I can fully understand that. And you can now in Flask, and it will work, will work with your existing setups. I think the only reason you could want to go fully async is uh, because you're only using async libraries, perhaps, or perhaps you, you might see a bit of performance improvement there, which isn't necessarily yeah. guaranteed, by the way. For that, though, I, I think there's court. So I kind of think all the users' motivations might be covered now, which I think is really exciting. That is very exciting. Yeah, and our goal is just to get court and Flask as API compatible as possible. And they're already very, very close, but, you know, moving very exciting that. And so, like, ideally, it should just be a drop-in, like, name replace for everything to keep yeah. working. Yeah, and you could probably pull it off with just the right import statement. Import court as Flask or something potentially almost. <laughs> Possibly. No. I don't know how Phil this, feels about that. <laughs> no, well, there's, sure, uh, there's some monkey patching in court where you can 
tell everything else that Quart is Flask. So you can use some of Flask extensions with Quart by allowing Quart to pretend it is Flask. It's just kind of kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is quite quite wild. I did see a question: Will Flask break current extensions? No, no. Our goal was still compatibility and stability. We are we are making major releases and we are adding new features, but it shouldn't break. It shouldn't permanently break anything. You know, there might be some unforeseen incompatibility that a library needs to update for, but it's not like they will suddenly no. have to rewrite their whole thing async or something like that. It's not, if it breaks it, it's not on purpose. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, something yeah, that, you that, that makes it sound bad too, but... <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, your intention is to have it be compatible, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's always the intention of these libraries. They're meant to be very stable, and um, it's actually one of the things I've been working on as a maintainer, as I've been maintaining these over the years, is when I do make releases or when I make changes... I try to make everything show a deprecation warning first and then only remove it in the version after that. So I do want to evolve things and refactor things or, you know, identify patterns that weren't great or that don't aren't needed anymore since we're dropping Python 2. Yeah. I do want to evolve the libraries, but I don't want to break anybody without warning them first. And so there's a ton of deprecation warnings in all the libraries this time uh, that you'll see if you're running tests. That's cool. So speaking of that, yeah, I, I saw this really nice Flask 2.0 is coming. Please help us test by Stetio. I don't know who this is. If you know, maybe you can give him a shout out. Oh, that's me. Yeah. It's oh, is that you? Okay. Reddit username. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Yeah. So from you, Phil. And he said from the change log, one of the things coming, well, first of all, one of the things coming is Python 3 plus, sorry, 3.6 plus only. Dropping two for sure, and even three five. That's pretty interesting. Well, three five is end of life now. Yeah, yeah. It seems so new in my mind, but uh, it's clearly, clearly not that new anymore. When I first made the announcement of dropping Python two, three five wasn't going to go end of life until like nine months later. But I decided to. I was going to drop three five anyway. We won't usually do that. Usually, we're gonna. Our plan is to try to wait for the uh, actual official end of lives for Python's from now on. But three five just. It was so much more convenient to drop it at the same time. And 3.6 is yeah. still supported. But the next versions after these will be 3.7 only because 3.6 will have gone end of life probably by the time right. we make new releases. Right, right. Okay, very cool. And how much the 5 versus 6, was it just that 3.5 is going out or versus F-strings? We do use F-strings all over the place now, but that wasn't the reason. I mean, since okay. we were doing 3.6+, plus, I decided to like use F-strings in a lot of places. I don't remember... What was inconvenient about 3.5? But there, I mean, I do remember there was something. This was a year and a half ago now when I made this decision. I think so. async was slightly different. I mean, look, if you're switching to two, it's a, a chance for a nice break from some of these things, even it, if they've exactly. got a few left. Yeah. I was originally like, originally 2.0 was just going to be like dropping Python 2 and making maybe a few minor changes. And then I, got anxiety about making releases <laughs> and breaking everybody's <laughs> stuff. And so I just kept working on more and more stuff into 2.0 instead of releasing it. But yeah. because it's 2.0, that also kind of gave me the opportunity to like identify more stuff that I wanted to deprecate than normal maybe, or make more bigger features to add. Yeah, but it's a perfect time to do it with such a big version number change. I'm going to pull out a few more things from now that I know it's Phil, Phil's Reddit post here, which got 1.3... 1,300 upvotes. That's pretty awesome. Uh, short form of decorators. So instead of for routes or routes for you in London, instead of app.route, you know, specifying get or post, you can just do app.get, app.post. That's easy, but nice. Yeah, it's it's just a bit of uh, syntactic sugar, really. It's, uh, yeah, 
should make it a little nicer. Uh, it's something uh, going back to the ecosystem. It's something the other frameworks all seem to adopt, and uh, it's nice to steal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one of the big differences I've been seeing from the other frameworks that they're very much like Flask, but the, they kind of put the verbs on the decorators a little bit more. So why not take it back if you inspired them in the first place? Also, you know, blueprints, man, blueprints are something I think do not get enough attention and love because they are so nice for organizing your code into little bits and little categories of functionality instead of, you know, trying to associate them all with the main app, the at app. So there's some news around that for updates as well, right? Yeah. One of the oldest standing open issues, Phil decided to just like, oh, I can solve this. And he like wrote something over a weekend, I think. Or it felt <laughs> like that. Way to go, Phil. <laughs> now it's blueprints all the way down. Well, I'll let Phil describe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's exactly like you can nest blueprints in blueprints. So I think the kind of the code structure is really helpful because now it doesn't have to be all in that one blueprint, right? You can split it over a few yeah. files and bring them in, which helps a lot. And there's other structures where maybe you want to reuse some part of something in another blueprint. So you just bring in parts. But yeah, you can just use that to, and uh, you can use the command register blueprint on a blueprint to register the blueprint and carry on. Yeah, you used to have to say app.register blueprint and you would give it the blueprint and that would help you build up the various pieces. But now you can you can nest them and they can be more hierarchical, which is great. Right. Before it was just one layer, you had the Flask app and then the blueprints and so like each blueprint could have a prefix, but people haven't actually asked for it for a while, but it's still been an open issue and it doesn't seem unreasonable. People have wanted to like have prefixes for prefixes. And so then you get nested blueprints and now it's possible. Yeah. Awesome. Let me take a couple of the questions out of like sure. first Doug, Doug Farrell out there. Hey, Doug says, Hey, I'm working on a book that uses Python flask as a primary example application. When might flask 2.0 be released? And should I plan on updating the book to use it? i guessing Doug didn't catch the very first opening bit because you said tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> if you're interested in following Palettes news in general, there's at Palettes team on Twitter. And there's also palettesprojects.com slash blog, which has an RSS feed. And so we actually have announced this already. But yeah, it's uh, May 11th tomorrow. Fantastic. And then John Sheehan says, you're right. We don't hear enough about blueprints. I love blueprints. Yes, absolutely. Right on says uh, in our talk Python training web training course, which is a flask covers it says flask basically we rebuild pypi.org with flask is used as uh, safe to use flask 2.0 I think so like David said there shouldn't be any breaking changes maybe deprecations if you see them let me know I can update that but I think it should be fine right same reason that production apps work the, the like example app should work this is the first time we've tried to do release candidates before we've made releases and so we actually have re had release candidates up for about a month now uh, for all the libraries where you could test your existing code with the new versions. But I think in the future, when we do this, we need to do a better job at advertising that. So it's <laughs> something we'll get better yeah. at over time. But yeah, yeah, cool. Well, people listening now know. Then also, I think interestingly related to both the micro framework side of the story, but also the new features like, especially the async stuff, Rohit asks, which will be the most compatible database to supporting framework for Flasio? On one hand, like, just do whatever you want, right? But on the other, you've got Flask SQL Alchemy as an extension. You've got the ability to use like Tortoise ORM because of the async support. Like there are new options, right? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Flask makes no requirement. It doesn't affect what database you use. Uh, Flask SQL Alchemy, that will have a 3.0 release similar to these soon-ish. 
I think I'm going to take yeah. a little break after <laughs> this release <laughs> first, but it should st- it should continue to work. What's the you know SQL Alchemy 1.4 just released with mm-hmm. the first async API, and they're moving towards 2.0 as well with a, a new API. What's the story around their their new API and the SQL Alchemy async support? With yeah, Flask SQL Alchemy. Is there anything uh, overlap in there? So SQL Flask SQL Alchemy is compatible with 1.4 right now. I did make a little bug fix release recently for that. 2.0 is just deprecating things. So and nothing that Flask SQL Alchemy uses is going away. Um, so it'll work with SQL Alchemy 2.0 when that happens. In terms okay. of the async stuff, we might Flask SQL Alchemy like the extension might have to do something if we want to enable using that pattern, but we might also not because it's using a pretty clever use of greenlets to enable compatibility between sync and async code and Flask's async support should support that out of the box or yeah. not out of the box, but it's possible to extend it to do that. Yeah, it's super cool. All right. Another thing I saw in the release notes was that around Vexoig, there's there's performance improvements coming mm-hmm. in Flask and Vexoig. Want to just give people a little insight into what's coming there? Yeah. One of the things I think the one that got the most attention, got uh, some interest on the, the Python subreddit, was uh, an improvement we did to the form parsing. So I think there's a this issue that's about five years old saying it was a bit slow, especially for large files. And uh, as David mentioned earlier, we were looking at moving that to be sans IO. And in the, the work to do that, the original author of that issue actually came back and said, oh, if you do this, you'll make it a lot quicker as well. And when we did that, uh, he, he pointed out we made it about 10 to 15 times quicker than the the previous form parser so yeah oh, so wow, that's if awesome. you're being sent files to your flash server it should be a lot quicker yeah f- form data in general is faster and then if you're uploading large files that's way way faster than what it used to be oh wow like multi-part form upload type of files yeah so if you were uploading even like hundreds of megabytes it could be really slow in some cases and so now you can just upload our big you know, gigabytes of isos if you want should work fine. Nice. Just like streams in or something. I mean, it'll still take as long as it takes to upload, but <laughs> yeah. There's no change the internet. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make it worse. I see. Cool. But I don't know. I think uh, I'm trying to think if there were any other performance improvements in Verxwig. I know a couple of releases ago we made a pretty big one where to our URL building, which made it like ten times faster or something. That's already released. So, but it has been getting faster. Yeah. yeah, okay. We haven't measured it. I think the, the work taking out all the comp- compatibility shims and just going pure Python free should should be noticeable. Yeah, since oh, we removed really all the compatibility code for Python 2 stuff, like literally the dot comp- or compat.py files are gone uh, and all the code that was calling that. There's still some more work to be done on that in terms of like accepting both bytes and strings in a lot of places where it doesn't really make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's still some overhead, but there's a lot less compatibility overhead than there was before. But yeah, it hasn't been measured. But I expect that to be noticeable because when Verxoig and Flask first added support for Python 3, you know, going the other direction, so it was Python 2 only and then it became Python 3, some people stuck with like really old versions of Verxoig and Flask because there was a noticeable performance degradation by adding all that compatibility code. So now that right. it's gone, it should be better. Yeah, fantastic. I know the NumPy people, they actually got a lot better. They shrunk their code a bunch by dropping 2.0 or two, Python 2, 2.7. Mm-hmm. And similar for you all? Yeah, it's just, I mean, besides the performance improvements, it's just more maintainable now. I pushed really hard to drop Python 2 even before it went end of life. I started thinking about how to do it because 
I never used Python 2 back then, and I still don't know. So every time I had to fix something, I had to like, oh gosh, now I got to run the Python 2 version of the tests and figure out how to like make some weird compatibility shim, you know, between the two. So it was a nightmare maintenance for like maintainers and contributors. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably easier for contributors as well now to come in because they don't have to, you know, a lot of people these days, they don't know Python 2, right? Right, exactly. They don't want to come in and like learn you know, something from 10 years ago so they can keep it compatible. They just want to add the new feature. Yeah. If you somehow have like a Python 3.5 application still, you can stick with Flask 1.1. You'll still get your application working just fine. I mean, (laughs) we're not going to be supporting it because we just don't have that capacity, but the libraries are fairly stable. You know, like we almost never get bug reports asking us to backport something, for example. You know, I use Dependabot like pretty much anybody who uses GitHub does at least for security. Right. I think people have become a lot more aware overall of that they should be pinning dependencies and how to do yes. that and how to upgrade yeah. intentionally. And so hopefully over time that, you know, less people will be surprised by updates and their applications will continue working with the versions they work with. Right, exactly. And if you're worried about these changes, just pin it to 1.11 or whatever it is mm-hmm. and just let it be until you're really ready. But also you'll get notified of any security issues right. that you might need to jump in and fix, right? So and what I was going to say is I don't remember seeing any around Flask and Rexoig almost ever. So they're pretty stable, it seems. It's pretty rare for there to be like critical bugs or security-related bugs reported. We get stuff every now and then, but we just make a point of release. Yeah. And Rohit asked previously about like, why would I use something like Flask over, say, something like Django? I notice security releases for Django more often. And I think it's because they just have so much more going on. Like they have a whole admin section with forms and input. And you guys just, if it's not there, it can't have a a vulnerability in it. There's a much larger attack surface. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But it's not that Django is less secure overall, though. I mean, first of all, they're releasing all these security updates. So they're staying secure. But I think they have a much larger team. And so they have the capacity to do these sorts of analysis that maybe we don't. I'm not saying like, I think Flask is insecure, but it could be that, you know, they're just, they've just got more eyeballs on these things. Like noticing like, oh yeah, we shouldn't do this. We we can make it safer or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think the surface area is so much larger. Yeah. It's, you know, bound to happen. Maybe someday we'll be in that position for Flask too. (laughs) (laughs) Doug says, oh man, trying to get in Django, my new job, so much magic, uh, too much magic happening there for me. But he also has a, a question that I think maybe, you know, Phil, you spoke about in your yeah, presentation. Yeah. Like, does this release change how you run in production? Like uh, unicorn versus micro whiskey versus who knows what? Hypercorn. The good thing to say is that, uh, no, it doesn't change it at all. It, it still works the same. And you can still use unicorn and use the async capabilities now in Flask. If you wish to use an ASCII server, you can as well. You need a, some middleware and adapter to do it. And there's some examples in the in the Flask docs if you want to see which one we recommend. So you can choose any server, but yeah, very important for me to point out that you don't have to change anything. You can just carry on as before. Yeah. So if you want, how would you categorize? You, you actually, in your talk, spoke about a spectrum of async capabilities. Mm-hmm. On one hand, you have Flask with its decent async support, but not full AGSI server capabilities. And then you've got court, which can be a hundred percent ASGI. And so you kind of thought of it as a spectrum 
right? Yeah, so my idea is that uh, if your code base is mostly sync, as it may have started, then Flask is a great choice. If you want to add a bit of async here and there, it's still a great choice. It's only when perhaps you want to go fully async or you've mostly async with maybe a, a few sync pieces of code that you actually uh, would choose core. But I think the really nice thing for the user is you can hopefully just go across that spectrum eventually change the name, but then just continue. And uh, it's, a, it's a pleasant experience, is my hope. Yeah, awesome. You should still be able to use the same WSGI servers, basically. Like like we've said a couple of times, like, we're not breaking anything. We're not changing how Flask works or anything like that. Um, so you still deploy it the same way. And if you do want to use an ASGI framework for some re- or server for some reason, you can always use an adapter to serve a WSGI app over ASGI too. You just don't get any of the benefits, really. Yeah. And Doug makes a good point out there that Flash for the Win is still making G Unicorn a good solution. With G Unicorn, you can change the worker type, mm-hmm. right? You can let it be the regular one, or you can say, I think it's dash K for the option. You say change the, the worker type to UVicorn workers, which would switch it to be an ASGI version. So you don't even necessarily have to change anything, but like part of your command line for your startup of your G Unicorn. And that could be the total change you have to do. And going back to a point that uh, Phil made earlier, in the same way, you could change the worker to use like G event or something and yeah. already have an async flask, just, you know, with an older right. version of async code or an older yeah. implementation. Yeah. And Joe out there says, I'd look at the new async IO features, but it seems from the docs that it's early days and maybe later versions will get uh, more async IO adoptions. I guess that's a good direction to have a quick chat about is what's the so this is 2.0 is this where you see it sort of landing or do you see this as a, a progression well, i think it's fair to say it's a, it's a progression definitely i mean the ideal outcome in the end would be to somehow merge flask and quart users be able to use any amount of async and or be ascii or whiskey and uh, everything just just works nicely for them really again as i said earlier i'm a bit skeptical about whether that could be the one namespace i just called Flask or whatever you need to split it up as it mm. is now. But yeah, I think it's the start. Hopefully we can we can keep going. Yeah, like the async stuff we've gotten there so far is for supporting the most important thing that we thought people were needing async for, which is I have some async code or like I'm using discord.py, for example, to write a discord bot or something. That's all async, right? So if you want to write that code, you need to type async def and put your code in there. Right. So we're enabling that. We've got extension points to change, you know, what async IO loop you're using, like async IO versus trio versus greenback. A UV loop or something, maybe. Or you I'm not sure if that would tie in. I feel might be able to answer that. And then like, you know, addressing things like being able to do web sockets and that sort of thing. We might be able to do that in Flask eventually, or that might be the place where you switch over to the court namespace. And yeah. but you're using the same API, it's just a different name. Yeah, Phil, that's something I wanted to ask you about it. Just to let you get a give a quick shout out about is the WebSocket support that you all have in court. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if there's much more to say there, but then it's, it's definitely supported and uh, you just go ahead and use it. <laughs> it supports WebSockets. <laughs> you did bring some of that stuff back to Verxoig, though. Because you're using Verxoig in court, you needed to be able to route to WebSocket URLs as opposed to HTTP URLs. And so we now have a way to identify in our Verxoig router uh, whether something is intended to be a WebSocket or not. So it'll change based on the, the scheme that you're using. And I think it's, it's good to point out that Miguel has a uh, kind of experimental support, I think, in Flask as well for WebSockets, which uh, nice. is good to keep an eye on. I'll have to see how that goes. Oh, yeah, that was really cool. I don't have the, I don't remember what it was called or anything, but there's like a way that G Unicorn 
will like let you take control of the HTTP socket from an endpoint. And so within your Flask view, you could like take over controlling the socket and start treating it like a WebSocket instead. Like an upgrade type thing? Yeah. So you still are in Flask and WSGI mode. So you're still like sync in terms of one worker is blocked handling that one thing. But um, it's pretty clever. Yeah. And Joe out there throws out that it's Miguel Grimberg. I'm guessing also- it's the Miguel you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, there's also Flask Socket IO, but this is like a more native thing where you can just do this directly in Flask instead of needing an extension. So, okay. Cool stuff. Yeah, super cool. All right, we're getting sort of short on time. So, I want to ask a, a couple of questions, hit on some high notes as well here. One of the things that I think is pretty exciting that GitHub has done, you know, GitHub, I think, continues to be pretty neat. And one of the things they've done is they've added sponsor support for projects. Has that been helpful to you all? Yeah, we've gotten quite a lot of support. We're part of the PSF, and so mm-hmm. we take donations through them. If you go to palletsprojects.com slash donate, you get the PSF donation page. We've got lots of people you know, making one-time donations or scheduled you know, monthly donations. Then we're also part of Tidelift, which is a commercial sort of open source support service that we're getting uh, funding through. And we were also, uh, I mean, this isn't really a sponsor link, but since we host all our docs on Read the Docs, we're partnered with Ethical Ads, uh, which is their advertising platform, to share the advertising revenue on all our docs. And so we're getting okay. uh, quite a bit of funding. We're going to put it towards Flask conferences. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's good to hear. I do feel like there's probably a handful of billion-dollar companies that are using Flask at the core that maybe could click that link and do a little more, but you know, just shout yes. out to them. but. <laughs> if you're using Flask in your company, take a look at the sponsor links. Yeah. We have lots absolutely. of plans for what to do with it. Yeah. I was really happy to see GitHub with this in here because like just having like a little, you know, buy me a coffee link on the side of a homepage, that didn't seem like it worked. But I think this sort of central way. And what's interesting is I didn't realize that I that you could link to external sponsors. Like my thought was that that sponsor button really was going through the GitHub sponsor channel or framework or whatever. People recommend that we use GitHub sponsors as well because uh, a lot of companies who are already in GitHub's ecosystem have an easier time clicking that button than something external. So yeah. that's something I will be looking at. Kind of like eventually. App Store versus not App Store, you know, like versus going to our site to buy it type of integration, right, right? right? I feel like it's almost like that. I would definitely recommend it. Um, I've sponsored some things through the sponsor button there and it, it's super easy. Okay. Mars. How about that? Yeah. Flask is on Mars or helped the lander get to Mars. And I bet if I pull this up, let me see if I can find your user profile here. I just have to hack the URL. It's going to have to be that way. And I go down here. Here you go. You have the official achievement, Mars 2020 helicopter contributor. How awesome is that? Uh, Phil, do you have one of these as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm so jealous. I want one of these. (laughs) Everybody who's gotten a code contribution to the repositories should have that badge. And there's been plenty more people who have contributed in other ways that should have that badge, but don't, maybe. (laughs) You should also have the uh, Arctic Vault contributor badge. Oh, I have the the Arctic one, but I turned it off a while ago because I thought it was kind of (laughs) silly. Yeah, yeah. This this one is way more. (laughs) I don't know how that whole system works, but if they had archived Flask 2.0 after all my work was like done, I'd be much happier. (laughs) (laughs) But they archived it like two years ago now. Yeah, so there's a lot of ways in which Python is being used on Mars. When the lander first landed there, and, you know, people said, oh, 
look, there's the F prime library that was used to power the, the ingenuity helicopter. That means Python's there. I'm like, ah, it looks like maybe Python just trained the model and C++ was there, but it turned out in the lander that went down, actually the cameras, all the different angles were controlled by Python. Mm -hmm. And then getting those images back to JPL was part of Python. And yeah, what's the story of the Flask and Mars? This is so cool. Yeah, so Flask is actually part of F prime. So F prime is like their, I'm not an expert on this, but it's like their flight control software, I think. Yeah. So it's yeah, like yeah. a monitoring dashboard for everything. So they're using Flask to provide like all this information about the launches and flights and landings and get updates in real time. So I think that's where our stuff came in, but I'm sure other parts of their code are using Jinja or Click in other ways, not necessarily through Flask. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. What did you all think when you heard this? Every now and then I'll see like a, uh, you know, some big thing like this F prime and I'll, they won't have mentioned Flask or anything, but I'll have like, somehow I'll have like this, intuition that it was used and so like i i went and just looked at f prime and i like I, i'm like oh it's python requirements.txt flask yes. <laughs> and i went and announced it on uh, github i'm like wow check this out yeah that's super cool go to the dependency graph i'm sure we'll see yeah look what number one dependency right there there we are in flash restful yeah something to do with apis here right mm -hmm. yeah cool all right, let's, I guess, round this out with two things, actually. Real quick, though, I want to take a question, I think, or follow-up comment from Ikivu. Might be off topic. They say they would love to know more about how to convince a large employer to spend money sponsoring an open-source project. I wish I had a good answer for this. I know there's been thought on this. I'm just not the best person to talk about it. I'm not an expert yeah. yet. I would say look at Tidelift. They're a company and their whole like job is to be that in-between between open source who doesn't know how to convince companies to do this and companies who are using a lot of open source but don't know how to, to analyze their dependencies and divide up their support. And so if you go look at Tidelift, you know, their, their whole goal is to enable that sort of thing and uh, discuss it with manage, management and all that. That's not good. Tidelift. Is it maybe Tidelift? Well, that's not good. If they're getting it, they might be down temporarily. Never seen that before. Maybe HTTP versus HTTPS. Yeah. Your connection. Uh, yeah. So that place, I, I do think this is a, a good option as well. You know, they sponsored TalkPython for a little while. And I think they're definitely trying to be creative in this, right? They're trying to offer something to employers that's mm -hmm. not just put it on your charity column in the balance sheet. They're like, we don't have a charity column in the balance sheet. What are you talking about, right? So um, doing something a little bit different there. You can look at it, I think, as a company as part of your recruiting spend. I think every company knows how competitive the market is. And uh, I, I do think engineers do look at what, what interests and what you do in the open source community and look at it in a positive light. So I think that might help. I totally agree. A couple of other quick follow-up questions. Olga asks, can F prime connect to APIs on Earth? Like, do you... Do you know anything about this? I think it is used on Earth as well. I mean, like I said, it's like a monitoring dashboard, so it's not something that's actively running on the rover, I think, from what I understand. I think it is accepting data from sources like the rover and other systems and then displaying yeah. that and coordinating it. Very, very cool. And then Joe asks if Armin Roenicker's still involved with the project, any? Armin is not. He's still part of the GitHub organization, and he's like in our maintainer channel on Discord, but he's moved on to other things. You know, he's he's working in Rust a lot and other yeah. things. Yeah, um, my impression is he's kind of moved on to Rust and is just enjoying his time there, which yeah. is totally fine. Like people yeah. don't have to stick with one technology their whole life, right? Even right, if they made right. big contributions. That's one of the things I've been trying to do too since I became a maintainer was um, 
get more maintainers, right? So it's not just Armin and it's, and then it, after Armin, it's not just me, you know, I'm yeah. trying to expand it. So it doesn't matter if Armin or I are still involved. Yeah. And box of ninjas out there says, I need the Mars endpoint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think Pretty they just fantastic. let that out to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> there's probably, they, they don't put off in there. It's hard to find the endpoint. <laughs> no, it just, I have no like idea. The right satellite at the right time. Uh, exactly. You can just tunnel over there. All right. So I think that's probably all the stuff we got time for, but you know, thank you guys for covering this. Let me ask you the last two questions before you get out of here. If you're going to work on Flask or Quart, what editor do you use these days? I've been using PyCharm for almost a decade now, I feel like, pretty much since when I started using Python. So PyCharm, all the way. Right on. Bill? I use Emacs, although I've used VS Code a few times. If I ever record something, I use VS Code. But yeah, Emacs is where I do the work. Oh yeah, do it right down the bare metal. Awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. And then recommend some library package you all have come across recently that you're like, oh, this is super cool. People should know about X. Any ideas? I'm really enjoying using Pydantic to, to validate the incoming requests, like just as a data class setup. Uh, I know you can do it with different ones as well, but the, the syntax seems so clean just to say this is looks exactly like a data class and I just use it to validate my incoming. It's, it's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. One of the things I've started to do is like the first line in my Flask API endpoints is to say Pydantic model equals, you know, class star star what is it, request.json, uh, something like that. Like just immediately try to convert it to invalidate it with Pydantic. Something I learned recently, I had Samuel on the show who creates and maintains Pydantic is, although I didn't learn about it on the show, uh, someone else pointed out to me, is there's a, like a secrets capability built right into Pydantic that like works with like .env files and all sorts of stuff. It's got this whole mechanism. So yeah, that library does a bunch of cool stuff. I don't have a good answer for this because I've been just dealing with Flask itself for so long and getting those ready that I haven't really been exploring new stuff for myself. Does this mean I get another? You can have another, but <laughs> yeah. So like, hopefully I get to learn about some new libraries as soon after you know Flask 2.0 goes stable. I will say yeah. at work, this isn't official yet because we're going to, we, we need to write documentation. It's totally unusable right now because it's not documented, but we've been working on a uh, open source library called AutoInvent which takes a data model, like such as your SQL Alchemy models, and produces an entire GraphQL API and React front end from just the data model, plus like customizations to some metadata. Oh, that's cool. It's super handy. It's really cool. It's completely undocumented. So I will, at some point, <laughs> maybe half a year from now, announce the actual project. But if you go to an autoinvent.dev, you can see all our messy code right now. Oh, nice. Bill, you got one more. Go for it. Oh, yeah. So Trio, if you've not heard of it, it's a different async await-based event loop implementation. And uh, I think I really like it because the structured concurrency it introduces is the way, I think, the most Pythonic way to do async and await. Yeah. Trio's neat. I had the, I don't remember the maintainer's name, but I had him on the show. Nathan? Nathaniel, that's right. Yeah. Nathan I had Nathaniel on the show. And yeah, it's super cool, like how you can have dependencies between you know, this task, created those tasks, and you cancel one, you cancel them all. There's a lot of interesting patterns that come out of there. Very neat. All right. I think that's it. David, Phil, thank you. Quick shout out or a quick final call to action. People want to get into Flask 2.0. They want to upgrade their stuff. Maybe they want to take advantage of the async stuff or whatever. What do you tell them? Where do they go from here? Well, look for that, look for that new version releasing tomorrow or a week ago, depending on when you listen to this. Follow Palette's team on Twitter if you want to see announcements for new things. 
And also, if you're interested in like contributing to these projects, I would encourage more people to go on GitHub. You know, at least star the projects you're using, but also watch them. You know, watch for new issues coming in. Anybody can pick up one of these things and help out. Yeah, you know, I think star and fork are the ones that get all the attention. You know, one thing that GitHub just recently added, I know I said this is it, but I just want to give a, a little quick awareness to people. I think it's super cool. If you forked a repo, it used to be you'd have to go CLI and you know add an upstream origin, and then you have to kind of keep that in sync. Now they've added a button that if, if you go to a fork and it's yours, you can just click a button and go sync my fork with the original now. And I think that you know encourage people to fork it and to stay up to date is a lot a little bit easier. So that's pretty cool as well. Phil, final uh, call to action. What do you say to folks? Maybe something core focused. I think it would be go out and use it and uh, let us know if it solves your needs, if it does what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you both for being here. Thanks, Michael. See you later. Yep. Yeah. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Our guests on this episode were David Lord and Philip Jones, and it's been brought to you by us over at Talk Python Training. Want to level up your Python? We have one of the largest catalogs of Python video courses over at TalkPython. Our content ranges from true beginners to deeply advanced topics like memory and async. And best of all, there's not a subscription in sight. Check it out for yourself at training.talkpython.fm. Be sure to subscribe to the show, open your favorite podcast app, and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, the Google Play feed at slash play, and the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. We're live streaming most of our recordings these days. If you want to be part of the show and have your comments featured on the air, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at talkpython.fm slash YouTube. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code.